Well, good morning, church. God is at work in his church. And I love that we get to get in on what he is doing. And what you just witnessed is more changed lives. And that's what happens when we really seek the face of God. He changes things. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I hope this time already today has been an encouragement to you as we come together. We are preparing to continue in prayer, but first we want to do a little surgery on our hearts. We want to make sure we understand all that is taking place and really why we've gathered here. So just like what you've seen on the screens, those baptisms, that's a part of our DNA. What we're about to talk about, this reason behind our prayer, that's deep within the DNA of who we are as a church. So I want you to think with me just for a moment. Imagine you were walking and talking with the living Lord Jesus, and you were seeing those miracles firsthand. You were hearing his teaching with your own ears. You were watching that healing touch. You sensed his authority. And you were one of those who were close to him. What would you ask of him? Imagine that. What would you ask of him? We ask a lot in prayer. But when the disciples had that opportunity... Dr. Luke records that they had a very specific question. Look at this. In Luke 11, 1, it says, Now it came to pass, he, that's Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Think about that. Of all the things they could have asked of Jesus, teach us to do that amazing water to wine thing. I really think that could be handy, Jesus. Or, or, or teach us to, to heal like you heal. Or, or Jesus, when you speak, everybody just stops and listens. Teach us to talk like you. But they watched and they saw that the power that came from Jesus, his influence, his impact on the world had something to do that this time that he would spend alone with the Father. And, and they would see that throughout the entire three years of his ministry. In fact, even in his last days, those closest to him would see that when he really needed assistance, he would go to the garden and pray. That's the context for which we get one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Maybe more appropriately called the model prayer. But like Psalms 23, that passage we've just spent a lot of time studying, a lot of people know this passage of Scripture. I'm going to go out on a limb here. We spent five weeks. It was one of my favorite times as a preacher in Psalm 23. If you were here, we really dug in deep. Do you know it? If so, let's say it together. If not, I'm going to be saying it by myself. Don't make that the case, okay? Let's say it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you give yourself a hand and give God praise for his perfect word? I think of Psalm 23. I think of John 3:16, the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule. But then we have the Lord's Prayer. It's not real long, just 56 words. Put that in perspective. The Gettysburg Address has 266 words. The Ten Commandments, 297 words. The Declaration of Independence, 300 words. And recently, the government established an order setting the price of cabbage, and it has 26,911 words. So Jesus accomplished a lot in just a few words, but I'm not sure we're grasping it. In fact, as I grew up, I memorized the Lord's Prayer, but I didn't recite it most often in a spiritual context. Do you know when I recited it? It's hard to believe in our culture today, but it was at the Little League ball fields. We would all gather there on the baseball diamond and us little leaguers, we'd put our hands in the middle and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And when we got to amen, we were ready to go win. That's not really the context of what this prayer is supposed to be about. So I I really do look forward to diving into it. But when Jesus was asked that question, he said, okay, pray in this manner. Or or as it says in Matthew chapter 6, in this manner therefore pray. You're going to see the words on the screen. Would you say it together with me, reading it along from Matthew 6? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But, as I'm going to show you, this really isn't a passage to be read. It's a prayer to be prayed. So I want us to stand. And I want to pray once more. And when I get to the end of my time leading us in prayer, I'm going to invite you to join me in praying that model that the Lord taught us. And I think it'll be clear. Now, I have to tell you, remember, I learned this as a child and I can't change something that's hardwired in my mind. So I can only pray this in the old King Jamie version. So some of you might know that, but let's pray together. Father, what a sweet time we've already had just praising you for who you are, seeking to get right. But Lord, we need more of you. We need you to meet us here. We're going to bring the deep needs of the world to you. And then we're going to look back in and bring our personal request to you. So Lord, we just want to make sure we understand this. We want to communicate with you with passion. But Lord, we want it to be with purity of our heart and mind. So Lord, as we spend a few minutes in your word, would you give us that which we don't have? Would you... 
Would you teach us those things we, we don't know that we need to learn? And would you make us men and women, boys and girls that we've not yet become so that we might leave this place changed for your glory? And Lord, we know in addition to your word, the greatest avenue for doing that is just communicating with you in prayer. So Father, teach us to pray. Jesus, even as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I have a strong conviction that we need to take prayer to a higher level. We need to do that individually. We need to do that as a church. And we need to do that because prayer can do anything that God can do. And God can do anything, right? Do you believe that? So I, I want to, in my personal life, I want to, as pastor of this church, I, I want to see us take prayer to a higher level. But I would suggest to you that I think we must see prayer go to a higher level. And all I need to do is, is look at the chaos and the conflict in the world I was reading again this week, Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about what it looks like before he comes. And do you know what he says he looks like? Just listen to this. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, well, there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars and there's going to be brothers fighting against brothers and all kind of hatred and division. And maybe you could substitute political conflict and racial conflict and People can be upset about whether or not to wear masks or whether or not to be vaccinated. And then he said there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be floods. I'm just telling you, I look at our world and on one side, I get excited because I think we can't help but be getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And, and yet then I, I look and I realize, oh, we who have the truth we must constantly be going to a higher level of prayer because we desperately need him. And then I think about our church and it's exciting times in our church, but it's a critical season. I mean, we are a unique church around the land. 67 nations gather when we gather to worship and people of all generations gather when we gather to worship. And we're on three different campuses. And did you know last weekend I got so excited because at our six mile campus on Friday night, we were feeding homeless and people were getting saved. And on this campus on Friday night, we were celebrating recovery with that wonderful ministry and lives were being changed and all the while at our Lake Carroll campus on Friday night we were having a Hispanic service and God was at work and I'm just thinking man these are exciting times and, and so we're looking to do some big things. Some of you seen the pictures that we've shown of, of going next door in our worship center and just gutting that thing and flipping it and creating a whole new way to gather as a church really repositioning this campus to position our church to reach all of Tampa Bay and touch the world. These are exciting times, but we're not going to do this without going to a higher level of prayer. I think 
This is what the Apostle Paul was reminding us about in Ephesians 6. So really, as we prepare to look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, Matthew 6, I I want us to, to look at why we pray as described in Ephesians 6. Now, you remember Ephesians 6 because you're thinking about the armor of God, that that belt of truth and that breastplate of righteousness and those shoes of the gospel of peace and and that shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the the sword of the Spirit. You you remember uh, the armor of God that we put on when we pray. But before we even get to that, the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, he really tells us why prayer is so important. Listen to what he says. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Oh, friends, prayer prayer does some big things that you need to understand. And I think this will help motivate you to take prayer to a higher level. First, prayer helps us develop a a worshipful perspective. As as Paul begins this section, he says to them, Hey, remember who you're praying to. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. How often do we get consumed with the things of this world and we take our eyes off of the one who can have all the impact we need? That's why praise is so important in prayer. That's why we always begin with praise. Praise does two things. Praise pleases God because the Bible says he is enthroned. Listen to what that literally means in Psalms. You've often heard it quoted as he inhabits the praise of his people. It literally says he's enthroned. So God sits on his thrones. And when you praise him, he just says, bring it on. Just give me some more. Oh, I like it. Just give me some more. And we can relate to that because we understand when people say nice things about us. We're like, stop it, stop it, stop it some more. That's what praise is. So I don't think you practice that enough. So remember I told you you're going to stretch. Some of you are like me. I mean, you kind of grew up in an old Baptist church where you were the frozen chosen. And man, if somebody next to you says amen, you start breaking out in hives because you're just not comfortable with that. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I'm trying to explain it because some of you are not going to understand it. I'm going to have to keep saying it. But we're going to praise God out loud. All right? So... I'm just going to encourage you. We're just going to take about 30 seconds and do this. Just, But praise is just telling God, I love you just because of who you are. I love you maybe because of your grace or your mercy. Or I love you because you're always here. Or because you're so powerful. You're so big, God. All of these things we say about God. So I'm going to start saying that. But as I start talking, again, what, I, what you're going to do is you're going to do this out loud too. Because God inhabits. He is enthroned in the praise of his people. You got it? This means yes. All right. Let's do it. Let's just pray. Praise the Lord. God, you are good. You're worthy. You're faithful. You're all-knowing. You're ever-present. You are all-powerful. God, you're worthy of all the worship. You're worthy of this gathering. And God, even though sometimes we're uncomfortable expressing how much we love you, you are good. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just give him praise right now? I want you to understand something. I love this quote by Lloyd Ogilvie. He says, the desire to pray is a result of God's greater desire to talk to us. So really, if you begin to understand who God is, 
the magnitude of that draws you to him and you just want to pray you have the right perspective how's your perspective today are you overwhelmed by these things of the world by everything that's taking place around you or or do you see the Lord and the power of his might do you understand that the God who hung the sun in the heaven that rose all around the world today he created you and he loves you that same God that scooped out the gulf that was been churning the last few weeks and that baptized me time and time again as I was baptizing others in that video. Our God made that and he made you. The God that shaped the Rockies and the Appalachian Mountains and the highest peaks of the world. He knows the peaks and the valleys in your life. And he's worthy of your praise. Praise gives us that worshiping perspective. But see the second thing. Praise helps us maintain a warring position. We not only see God for who he is, we see things for how they really are. It's not a cakewalk. Life for the follower of Christ is not a playground. It's a battlefield. That's what it says in verse 12. Did you see it? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. And he begins by saying we wrestle. Now later he's going to talk about standing and fighting, but here he's saying we wrestle. Why? Because when you wrestle, that is intimate. I mean, you are up close and in person. And some of you feel that. You feel the spiritual battle around you. It's, it's in your face. It's almost palpable. And you, you understand that this is not just the things of this world. Something is bigger than this today. If you haven't experienced that, man, Kind of makes me wondering what's going on spiritually because this is God's word. So either you believe it or you don't. And if this is true, then this is saying those problems that you have, all of those are not human problems. Some of those are spiritual in nature. And he tells us who the author of that is. It's the devil. And he's named all kinds of ways in scripture. He's called the accuser. He's called our adversary. He's called the slanderer. He's called a liar. He's called the father of lies, a murderer, a tempter, a serpent. He's even called the prince of the air. But as if that's not enough, if what Paul is saying is true, if the Bible is true, there are spiritual forces beyond just the devil at work. And they're even categorized. Did you see that? He gives us four categories. There's principalities, there's powers, there's rulers, there's spiritual hosts. Do you understand that some of the troubles you're having in this life, you're having because of the spiritual things that are taking place around us? Our problems are not primarily at a human level. They're at a spiritual level. He begins with, The word principalities. I want you to think about what that literally means. It means the prince of a locality. And so scripturally, what he's implying is, is in addition to the devil, he's got like these lieutenants and these sergeants and these others all around that are seeking to destroy, that are wreaking havoc. 
And we see that outlined in scripture. This is going to blow some of your mind. Remember the story of Daniel. Now, what is Daniel known for? He's known for being a godly man, a godly young boy that prayed three times a day. But because he prayed, we see in Daniel chapter 10 that God communicated back to him. That's what prayer is. It's not just talking to God. God speaks back to you. And God in in Daniel chapter 10 sent Daniel a messenger, a spiritual messenger. And listen to what it says in verse 12. Then he said to me, this is the messenger that he sent to Daniel. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. I just got to stop there because that's kind of exciting to me. If I believe God's word is true and I believe it sets forth a pattern for prayer, then the implication is when I cry out to God with my needs, just like the psalmist says, he sets his angels as guards over me. God's spiritual beings are there to help me. But notice what it says in verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. So this is an angel saying to Daniel in this vision, hey, I'm here, I got your back. But it wasn't easy because the prince of Persia, well, who's the prince of Persia? The principality, a spiritual being. Now, why am I saying this? Because we need to go to a higher level. And if we're going to go to a higher level, you've got to understand the warring posture. You should be able to, anyone in the world should understand what this means today. This is not political, but just look at the facts. Look at what happened in Afghanistan when our nation changed the warring posture. Lives are lost. Sacrifices are made because you're no longer in a warring posture. Did you know that Tampa Bay used to be known around the world as the Bay of the Holy Spirit? That was a name for Tampa Bay. Now it's one of the top sexual destinations in the world. It's one of the top places for human trafficking in the world. Principalities. If we're going to go to a higher level, we We have to understand we're at war. That's why 1 Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our friend Dr. Jerry Rankin says, our enemy's not a house pet who likes to nip at our heels. He's not even satisfied with trying to trip us up with temptation and occasional trivial sin. He seeks our total destruction. That's why John Piper says that prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and it gives God the glory of limitless provider. So just quick question. Your perspective, is it worshipful? Your posture, are you prepared for war? Do you understand you're at battle? But third thing, prayer helps us remember our winning position. We're at battle, but we know how this whole thing turns out, right? There's an old gospel song that says, I read the back of the book and we win. Aren't you thankful that we fight from a position of victory? The devil, man, he is bad news, but he's not God. He's not sovereign. He doesn't have all authority. Um, he can cause all kind of mess in your life, but he's, he's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He can individually wreak havoc, but he's not omniscient. 
He's not all-knowing. And I don't understand these spirit things, but in reality, as I read God's Word, He could be here today and in China in a second. But He's not ever-present. He's not God. And beyond that, He's a defeated foe. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful today for victory in Jesus? (laughs) Well, this weekend was the beginning of college football season. As I was watching game day on ESPN yesterday, they gave me permission because they said it's, it's kind of a no pants day for a lot of guys because, I mean, there were so many good games on yesterday on TV. You didn't even have to get out of your pajamas. You just could sit there. But I noticed something as I watched a few games. It didn't take long, and you could look on the sidelines at the countenance the expressions and even the body language of the players and coaches and you could tell whether or not they thought they were winning I'm just telling you I get to stand in a place like this each and every week and I've done that for a lot of years and I look out at people like you that I love at your countenance at your body language and I can tell some of you don't feel like you're winning You don't understand that winning position. And that may be because um, you just kind of got down. It may be because you're following God at a guilty distance and it's hard to know the thrill of victory from that far away. But it may be because you're not. It may be that you've been religious. You could have been Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Assembly of God, fill in your blank. Or or you've gone through all these kind of rituals like baptism or first communion or confirmation or any kind of church class. You've been to Sunday school and you've given the offering plate, but, but you've never really experienced that victory that comes from knowing Christ. So I want to put this whole thing in perspective by reading a passage that Paul wrote to the church at Colossia. In Colossians chapter 2, listen to what it says. And you, he was saying that to them, but it could be to us. And you, being dead in your trespasses, in your sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that's Jesus, has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And then notice this, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's what Jesus did. That's what happened on the cross. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. John tells us that's the very reason that Jesus came. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the truth and the power of the gospel. In Christ, you have victory. There is victory in Jesus. You and I, we're born, we're separated from God. We're what Scripture just describes as dead in our sin. Just like Christ died on the cross, we're dead in our sin. If that's left undealt with, we'll spend forever dead in our sin and separated from God. The Bible even tells us where. It's a place called hell. But God doesn't desire that for any of us. He doesn't desire that for you. 
I know this because it says in Romans 5 and verse 8 that God demonstrates his love and that while we were still sinners, even while we were dead in that sin, Christ died for us. And that death that Christ died for us changed things because he didn't stay dead. And when he rose from the grave, he was rubbing it in Satan's face. Because he was saying, I I not only defeated death for me, I defeated sin once and for all. That's why we stand in victory. But I just know this. I know this because I sense it in my spirit. I know this because it's just intellectually most likely true that there are some of you that are hearing these words and you don't, you don't know that victory because you've never trusted in what I just described, what Jesus did on the cross for you. You've never confessed your sinfulness. You've never turned and begun to follow him. So if that's you, I want to give you a chance to make that right, even right now. I'm reading through the Bible and I love it when I came in 2 Corinthians to this verse this week. Today is the day of salvation. For some of you, this is the day of victory. For some of you, this is the moment you're going to understand. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting, but I'm fighting from a winning position. And so I want you to bow your heads with me right now. Would you do that? Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. If you have that relationship with Christ and you know it, if you know you're fighting from victory, if you know you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven when you die, do me a favor right where you are, just as a testimony of praise to him. Would you just lift your hand up right where you are? You know that without any doubt. Just give him praise. You can put it back down. I love it. Some of you lifting up two hands. I just see that as two hands of praise. Praise the Lord. But there are some of you that you, you couldn't do that just now. You don't have that relationship with him. God wants you to. He loves you. He died for you. Maybe right now you would just cry out to him. Here's what you need to tell him. I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sin. I know you're alive today. I repent. I'm ready to follow you. And I went through that fast because you can say that in your own words. You can cry out to God anytime, anywhere. But sometimes it's hard to put put our thoughts into words. So this isn't a magic prayer, but I want to give you a chance to pray with me right now. These words express the desire of your heart. It's you beginning a relationship with Jesus today. It's you experiencing that victory. If you know you need to take that step, you just pray this prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, just you and him, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you're alive today. So I receive your forgiveness. I want you to take control of my life. And from now on, I'm going to follow you. Save me, Jesus. Change me. I tell him thank you. 
Say thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I, I want to give those of you that are in this room that just prayed that prayer with me the chance to do what so many others did a moment ago. If you just prayed that prayer and you meant that, you began a relationship with Jesus. It changed everything for you. You're now fighting this life from a position of victory. And that's worth celebrating. If you just prayed that prayer with me, beginning that relationship with Christ, would you just lift your hand up right wherever you are, just identifying that you begin that relationship with him? That's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would use even these moments, Lord, to just allow us to understand the significance we have of fighting this fight from victory. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you just give God praise for those that began a relationship with him? Well, there's one last thing from this passage. If you read through that Ephesians 6 passage, prayer also helps us develop a watchful persistence. It helps us be more watchful. That's what it says in verse 18. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer helps us stay engaged in the battle. And that's why we've got to learn to pray. That's why we've got to raise the level of prayer. Because it just helps us stay engaged with what God is doing around us. See, there is a lot of challenge in this world. There's a lot of heartache, a lot of problems, but our God is at work in this world. We want to get in on what he's doing. Jesus knew we would need these kind of reminders, didn't he? And so when he was gathering with his disciples, he began to say to them, from now on, when you come together, I want you to think differently about the things you do. And it says he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourself. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took of the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ's followers for a couple of thousand years, in different ways, have been celebrating the Lord's Supper. They've been taking a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and they've been remembering that sacrificial death of Jesus. Because when they do, it just helps us be more watchful. It helps us persevere. So when you came in today, you received one of these little cups with a wafer in it. And some of you at home, you may have gathered that cup with some bread. Here's what I want you to do. In your time, as we worship and sing this song, I I want you to peel that back and take of this bread and peel the top and take of the cup and, and remember what the death barrel the resurrection of Jesus Christ means to you. Some of you may be able to do this for the first time, or at least to do it for the first time understanding it today, because you just began a relationship with Christ. This is not something for ritual. This is something we do as those who follow Jesus. And we do this 
in remembrance of him. He died so that you could come to him from a winning position. Praise the Lord. Jesus, as we come into this moment, Lord, I pray that our taking of this bread and our taking of this cup would in no way diminish what you've done, but it would give us the opportunity to give glory to you. And Lord, as we do that today specifically, I pray that it would give us a more watchful eye as we persevere in the battles of life. In Jesus' name.